This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. My plan is sound, mathematically sound. It cannot fail. It's perfect. Three months from now, I will be worth $50,000. Independent for life. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and how do you ask your co-workers how much money they make? Today, we're talking awkward money conversations with some help from the guy behind the Earn and Invest podcast, Doc G. And the woman behind Afford Anything, that's the podcast Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And the guy hiding behind almost anything solid because he's convinced the end is coming soon. From LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. Plus, in our Friday FinTech segment, we'll say hello to the guy whose platform was early to go no-fee trading and now is innovating on creating a unified money management platform. From M1 Finance, we'll talk to CEO Brian Barnes. We'll still save time to magnify a listener's money, and I'll get techie with my trivia. And now a guy who only knows how to have awkward conversations, it's Joe Saul Seahawk. You got to master something. Pick your battle and master that battle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Friday. Let me be the first one to welcome you. I'm Joe Saul Sihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And man, do we have a band of merry men and women, men and women with us. Let's go to woman first from Afford Anything. It's Paula Pant. Whoa, man. Whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy. How are you doing? So I, I am, normally I'm in an undisclosed location, but today I think I can uh, disclose where I am. I'm in Indianapolis. And that shows how bad your undisclosed location is. Cause when you're proud to be in Indianapolis, but no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I love Indianapolis. No hate mail. I do actually love Indianapolis. <laughs> you know what? Maybe, may, oh, maybe this could be the next guessing game where I reveal every other location. And then by process of elimination, <laughs> people figure out the undisclosed location. Paul wants cake she's got games like paula's like i, I can right? i can finally get the stacky benjamins podcast moving just give me a little <laughs> more stuff and the guy who's not moving from uh, the bunker deep under los angeles is mr len penzo uh, i'm in an undisclosed location too but it's probably the the most uh known undisclosed location in all of los angeles so right it, joe but, how are you my friend well because it's easier for people to say like how far underground you are but exactly where underground is the whole thing like if if they say 40 feet you're like 
almost. But if they say Northwest LA, like, I don't know. Well, it's the moat and the electric fencing gives it away, really. So it's that's the problem. Once I get that disguised, we'll, we'll be much better off. I'm laughing. I didn't even hear what you said, Len, because I just said Northwest LA, which I believe is the Pacific Ocean. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> kind of doing the geography on my thing. It could be Ventura. I mean, who knows? Kind of, sort of. There's a Northwest LA. There's could this be. Malibu area. It could be Malibu. All right. Yeah. I'm that's close. Like that, that's like that riddle, like what's further west, Reno, Nevada, or Los Angeles, right? It's Reno. Is it really? I see. I do. Yeah. You learned some. Yeah. And now everybody can just turn the podcast off because you got your learning <laughs> for the day. Hopefully that's the trivia question today. <laughs> Guy who's on a different shore. It's a shore of a lake you also can't see across, but it's fresh water. Mr. Doc G joins us from Earn Invest. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing fine. I am hanging out in my own bunker, my own basement, trying to be like Joe in Joe's mom's basement. Uh, yeah, it's Chicago and it's winter. Isn't that great? Is it the frozen tundra? You're in the frozen tundra of Chicago or is that Green Bay? I don't know. It's cold. That's all I can say. <laughs> all the above. As if that open wasn't awkward enough. We're going to get more awkward. We're going to talk about awkward money situations. We got Paula in Indy, Len in L.A., Doc G in Chi-Town. I'm in the basement. Let's do this. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I was reading Lifehacker the other day, and I'll link to this in our show notes, but this piece I found really interesting. It's by Tim Cullen. It was how to have a conversation about money without making it awkward. And it's it's so difficult. In a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Erin Lowry on who wrote a book on this topic. And we're going to have her talk about a different aspect of this, about what awkward money conversations you should have, like which ones you really need to have. So I don't want to talk about that, guys. What I want to talk about is there are times when it's just, it's just very awkward. You're in the middle of these awkward conversations. And I'm going to walk through some of these things. Well, first of all, let's talk about some of the awkward money conversations, maybe, maybe that you get, have you guys ever had anybody ask you how much money you make? Yes. <laughs> is that, is that awkward for you, Len? Or do you just say no, well, more than I, you in your face? <laughs> no, well, it depends who's asking, right? I, I mean, my kids ask, I tell them I'll give it a, a ballpark figure. I'll never tell them down to the, to the last penny, but yeah, I'll, you know, it does cause me to take a step back. But I don't have problems telling certain people. And I have no problem, you know, giving ballpark figures either. What's your, your feeling? I mean, that's around some bedrock ideas about money that maybe you have. You're just open? Open to, to giving that number out? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, is it yeah, because you're open? You know, is think, it because you, you believe more people should talk about it? I mean, why are, you, why are you okay with that number being out there? Well, because I, you know what, it's... Uh, it's just a number. It's just, you know, it doesn't make your self-worth. It doesn't, your income does not, it does not determine what type of person you are, how good you are, or whether you're, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people, I think they get uncomfortable with telling what they make because maybe they feel that they're in, you know, maybe if they make less than the average, they might feel inadequate, which is totally wrong. And it's not important at all. There's people's value is not measured by how much income they make, right? It's by lots of other things like their character and what they can, 
how they present themselves and what they can give to society that isn't in monetary and value. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, I don't look at it that way. Now, my people might say, well, that's easy for you to say. I mean, I do make a, a higher than average income, but because of my job, but I've always felt that way, even, even when I was first starting out. Do you, do you worry though, because you have the benefit of age and wisdom well, I've been around you a long time. We'll stick with age. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> but you do. You've got maturity. I mean, I mean, all joking aside, you're very mature about this. You've been blogging about money. But do you ever worry? You tell your kids how much money you make. If your kid's in high school, Len, they don't have the benefit of maturity. And kids around them don't have the benefit of maturity. Do you worry when you tell them how much money you make that they'll go to school and and then be in an awkward money conversation about how much their dad makes? Um, no, you know, because I remember when I was a kid, I, you know, people had those discussions. I would, Hey, my dad makes this much money, you know, or my dad makes that, that much money. And quite frankly, I've told my kids, you know, that that's between us. That's not for anybody else to know, you know, and, and the main reason I tell them that is precisely because when they're younger, you know, they'll get into these contests where who's, you know, the contests devolve into who's a better person based on what your income is. And that's not, that's totally against what I believe. It has nothing to do with it. So telling, so, telling them is coupled with a little education. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and one of the first things is, you know, when they started asking me, I was well into my career, right? So and obviously when you're well into your career, you're going to be making more money than you are when you're just starting out. And I told them, I mean, we all start at the bottom and you work your way up and, you know, nobody, you know, very few people, you know, are making a huge amount of money. You have to work hard for it. You have to, it's a slow slog. It's a slow, hard slog to get to a comfortable position. And they also know that, you know, I'm at the part of my career now where I'm on the verge of retirement. You know, it's like <laughs> I, there was times when we were struggling and I tell them about that too. I mean, as recently as, uh, you know, 20 years ago when I was in my thirties, I was still me and me and the honeybee, we, we bought this house and we were struggling. We were lucky to go out to eat one time a month. And by going out to eat, I mean, you know, going out to a fast food joint on a Friday night. My point is money is not, it doesn't determine your self-worth. And I think that's what holds a lot of people back. I did have a question for you, Paul, about that. But based on what Len just said, Doc, I want to go to you because, you know, going through medical school, I have a people in my family that have uh, endured those extra years of education. You're not making any money during that time. Residency, whole lot of fun, a lot of work and still not really making any money. So there must have been times when you were struggling as well. Those awkward money conversations, any awkward money conversations around that period of your life? You know what? I think I've always felt like money conversations are awkward because of people's expectations, right? So when you're during residency, it's kind of understandable. People know you don't make a lot of money, but once you start practicing, people start making decisions about you based on what they think you're making. So it's awkward for me to talk about how much I make when someone's expectations are either much higher or much lower than reality. That's always when it becomes complicated, especially as a physician. Unfortunately, it's easy to weaponize our salaries against us. So for a number of years, I was making higher than expected because I had arranged my practice in such a way and I practiced concierge medicine. And it was a consistent worry because of medical malpractice. Once lawyers knew that you were making outside of the normal, you became a target. So for those reasons, money conversations really became awkward. 
That's why, by the way, when I was a financial planner, I would always tell physicians that I worked with, don't put doctor on your checks and on your stuff. Like you're very proud of it and you should be, but you don't know what these random people that get this stuff are thinking. Like you don't have any idea. I understand your, and you should be very proud of it because people automatically get these assumptions. Paul, I want to talk to you about emotions and money because Len obviously seems very centered, right? About his emotions. This is an emotional topic, but you know that people aren't emotional. How do you keep emotions out of these topics, which to Doc's point are usually firecrackers? Well, I think what is effective is answering questions when they come up in ways that are educational rather than ways that are, uh, to the best of your ability to do so, triggering, inflammatory, and or simply a distraction. I've seen many people answer the question that was asked rather than get to the heart of why somebody is asking that question. And, and sometimes if a person just answers a question directly, hey, I make X amount of money, the answer that they give ends up overshadowing any broader lesson that they're trying to teach. And it ends up becoming a distraction and it it detracts from the conversation rather than adds to it. And so before any information is divulged, I think the first question that a person needs to ask themselves, that the speaker needs to ask themselves, is, is divulging this educational or is it simply financial porn? Um, and, <laughs> you know, but you know, uh, you work in the, but, but seriously, mm-hmm. to stop you for just a second, you guys all work in financial media, right? You know that when some blogger posts how much I made, like the reason they do that is because the clicks, the unbelievable number of people, Paula, that click on those posts is people love that financial porn. Absolutely. And that's why it can become a distraction. You know, sometimes uh, if a person discloses how much they make, then that overshadows the lesson that they're trying to teach. Sometimes it can be beneficial. Like when I was an Airbnb host, I documented to the penny, every penny of income and expense so that people could see the numbers of what went into it. Because I I felt like that's not, you know, I'm not divulging my entire income. I'm just talking about one incredibly narrow specific project. And to the extent that I was trying to give people information that would inform their decisions as to whether or not they wanted to be Airbnb hosts, sure, they can see precisely how much I earned in that one incredibly specific project that I was doing. But that's very different than talking about income or net worth over, you know, somebody's life where there aren't necessarily lessons there that can be extrapolated. And if anything, it overshadows what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some of these points that they have on this piece and that I'd like to talk about, too, are just about good communication. Like the next one I do all the time with my spouse, Cheryl, it says, say everything out loud. I'm really bad about drawing conclusions in my head, moving three steps ahead of them, and then finally verbalizing what I'm thinking. So we'll be talking about one thing and I'll say, you know what? Pizza sounds good. But she said something about, you know, going to Costco. And then I think about, oh, the frozen food section, we need something. Then I'm like, oh, the pizza's right next to that. Hey, pizza sounds good. And so I've got these dominoes, right? That go there. But how do you get around that? Do you guys have that problem? too much in your head and not, uh, not verbalizing enough. I have that problem with my wife. She comes to these conclusions. I'm like, wait, hold on. Let's go back. How did we get so there? She and I does find it. There's like a four or five step reasoning process that I missed. Yeah. But you know, there's so many people out there that don't say everything out loud, Len, they keep it in. And then I have a family member who keeps everything in and then flies off the handle 
gets super. And then you realize they were probably upset probably the last two weeks. And then it goes from what I thought was not awkward at all to the most awkward conversation of all because they just blew up in the middle of a group of people. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't quite agree with this, say everything out loud. Now, maybe he, he, it's a bad way of saying what he kind of explained, but I mean, what he was trying to say, I believe here is, well, maybe not. He's saying, just say everything out loud, which to me, you can get in trouble. I mean, I've, I've had people will say, you know, they'll, they'll make a comment about, um, uh, well, let's do some negotiations. For example, uh, I was in a negotiation, uh, last week with the, uh, advertiser and I threw out my rate. And the advertiser came back to me, gave me a counter offer that was so far below my rate that, you know, my first, well, was my first impression was, what am I supposed to do with that? I mean, I mean, that's ridiculous. I'm not even going to negotiate with you. We are so far apart. I mean, my, my first impression was, you're, you know, what an insult. You know, you're a moron. Get, get the heck out. I wouldn't have said, you know, I'm not going to say that out loud. It's my response is. We're so far apart that there's no room for we can't even begin negotiating. So, you know, I didn't tell him I thought he was a moron, but I kind of just I used a little more different type of reasoning for it with him. Um, so I get it. Yeah. Show your logic train, but uh, be careful. Don't say everything out loud that you might believe you might really burn some bridges. Paul, I know you're in, in uh, Indianapolis doing some negotiating right now. Talk about awkward money conversations. I mean, you know, like to Len's point, you don't know where to start. Like, how do you even begin this negotiation process? Mm. So in the context of the negotiation that I'm doing right now, um, I put in an offer on a property, but that type of money conversation is, in my opinion, actually fairly non-awkward because I have an agent who's on my side, uh, theoretically. And so, you know, he and I can, can have conversations about, as far as you know, about, as far as you know, exactly. <laughs> he and I can have conversations, you know, where, where I, I, I just asked him point blank directly. I was like, you know, how aggressively do you think that we can bid? And he was like, fairly aggressively. And I'm like, how much is fairly in dollars? You know? And and then we had a whole conversation about that. Like quantify um, that, that for me. Yes. But so because I'm not the person who is doing the negotiating directly and because the negotiation happens through pieces of paper that get traded back and forth electronically rather than through words, I, that kind of takes the edge off and makes it much simpler. I found that with cars too, by the way, purchasing cars, doing it via email, I can negotiate a little more brusquely and get to the point a little better. It's much harder when I'm standing face to face to have those types of types of negotiations. Doc Paula brings up a great point though. She went to somebody who she trusts, right? Who's in the negotiation process with her. And I think this is great advice for some of those awkward money conversations. Ask some people around you, like what they think, smart people around you, what you and I have these conversations all the time, man. So I think that there is familiarity with the process. So I like what Paula was talking about because there are norms for real estate investing, right? I've done this before too with properties. You kind of have these set of norms of this is how I go about negotiating for a rental property per se. If you can familiarize yourself with the type of negotiation you're having so you can learn some of those norms, whether it be for a raise or for being a buying a car or what have you, I think it helps. So it's part of delineating that process, asking around, finding what the norms are, 
and then you can learn how to operate within them. Uh, there's a few others here. I love this one. Don't increase your asking amount in little increments. Go for the big chunk. Like if, if you want $25 more, don't ask for 15 a day and 10 later because you just had two conversations, which is more painful for the person than just having one. Ask sooner rather than later because the person knows. I love that one. Prepare the field by dropping some hints. I can't tell you the number of times when uh, I've been grateful as an employer when my employee has told me that there's a raise ask on the way, you know? So I, so I had time. The hint dropping thing is fantastic because then I know I want to, I guess to some degree, then I'm on your team and I want to see if, if there's a way we can do it. Cause I know that to some degree, you're not happy with where you're at. So let's make that happen and watch my whole team is listening to the show right now. Going, oh, Joe, I'll get, I'll get eight of those in the next 24 hours. <laughs> But they say all the above counts double for dealing with friends. And I want to ask, I want to just go around and this will be, I think, where we end it. A family member asks you for money. It doesn't get more awkward than this. Paula, we'll start with you. Family member asks you for money. How about that awkward situation? Where do you go with it? So my policy that I have learned the hard way is that I don't give loans, but I do give gifts. That would be the first thing that I would tell them, you know, most likely if they were to come to me and and ask for money, they would say, hey, can I have a loan of X, Y, Z? And if I just say, hey, you know what? I never give loans, but I do give gifts. Here's a gift of a $10 Applebee gift card. (laughs) You're welcome. I've given given gifts. uh, The biggest one that I gave was $1,200, you know, but it was clear. I, I made it very clear. I was like, this is a gift. This is not a loan. Do not attempt to pay me back. This is being given to you as a gift for these reasons. And it's yours. And in the same way that you wouldn't pay somebody back for a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, this is a gift. Just gets rid of the awkward Um, right now. Being clear about that kind of right at the outset is I think the way to preserve the relationship. And it also kind of spares you from getting into the conversation of, Hey, pay me back. Or, Hey, can I borrow? Like people fool themselves. People lie to themselves when the conversation is, can I borrow money? You know, but when the conversation is, Hey, I need some money. Would you be able to just give me a thousand dollars? All right. Now we're actually having an honest conversation. Paula, I was wondering. Oh, (laughs) would you, would you like a Benjamin? (laughs) Well, you, you mentioned 1200 bucks that you're comfortable giving away. I mean, that's a nice, we've been friends for how long? Come on. Land family member asks you for money. Yep. I just did Opala. I mean, that's same things happen to me too. So it's like, now it's like, okay, well, you know what? Here's, here it is. Here's the money. If you want to pay me back, pay me back, you know, I'd appreciate it, but here you go. I'm just giving it to you. You do say you so. appreciate it. Paula said, nope, you're not paying me back. You say, I would appreciate this back. No, 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 no. I, well, yes, I would appreciate Of course I would. Yes, yes, yes. And that, yes, I would appreciate it back, but I'm not expecting oh. it back. I and, and I am not, and I will say, I am not giving this to you, you know, expecting it back. So consider it a gift. You know what? If you want to pay me back, Hey, great. I, I, I like, you know what? I, I like money. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to, if you, if you really feel like you have to pay me back and you said you were, I, I don't want to put you in a corner and, you know, down the road. So yes, of course I, I tell them I would appreciate it, but I don't expect it. That's <clears throat> you get in big trouble if you expect it back. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not asking you for money. I'm asking Paula then. 
Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of like Paula's philosophy better. (laughs) (laughs) Don't blame you. I do too. (laughs) Hey, Paula, can I have a hundred (laughs) bucks? Uh, Doc G is our guest here. I don't know. Why do we call you a guest? You're here all the time, man. But uh, you've got the last word. Family member asking you for money. So I treat it the way that I would treat if a family asked me, member asked me for medical advice. So if someone asked me for medical advice, I say, okay, come to my office. We're going to check you in. I'm going to write a note in the computer and I'm going to treat you like just anyone else. Because if you really want me to give you good medical advice, I have to stop looking at you as a family member or friend and look at you as a patient. In the times where I've dealt with money, I've actually been on the receiving end. For instance, when I've done some real estate investing and I was in a crunch for cash and asked my parents for more than just your average sum of money, they said, okay, that's fine, but we're going to write up a loan agreement and we're going to come to terms. And so I think if you do get stuck in the position where you may actually want to lend someone money and not give it to them, you have to start structuring it to protect yourself, such as they are not your friend. You can't give them the breaks you normally would give with a friend. And if you're going to give them breaks, you have to make it systematic, write it out, give yourself some structure to be protected. Well, if you've been a fan of the Stacky Benjamin show for any amount of time, you're going to know our next guest. Uh, But if you're brand new here, I have to tell you, this guy brings it every time he's here. He's one of the first people who ever offered free trading. His platform is one that we've been behind a lot. They're actually even, again, a current sponsor of the show, but we go way back. I think M1 Finance was a sponsor of ours early on. You know how they became sponsors? We asked them to do it because... I absolutely have been a fan of the app and the whole platform. I just love that this is made for long-term investors and not traders, but we're not talking about that. There have been a lot of changes to on finance since the last time that uh, Brian's been on. So I wanted to talk to him about several things, but mostly about all those updates. We call this FinTech Friday. Usually we draw a line and say, you know what? We're learning about this app together. Today, we're going to learn together about something I'll just tell you I really like. What's the latest? Brian Barnes from M1 Finance coming up next. And back with us on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my friend Brian Barnes from M1 Finance. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, good. Now that I'm I'm talking to you, I hope that you guys are, well, it just seems like you guys are really geared up for a big 2021. That we are. Yeah. Every year uh, seems to get better and better, more growth and the like. And so we are, we are hitting the accelerator pretty hard in 2021. Yeah. When I saw the list of the things you guys are doing and some of the things we're going to talk about today, I thought this is, this is crazy. I can't believe I'm looking at you. We have one of the few shortwave radios that has video and I'm surprised you still have hair, Brian. For now. (laughs) My my, my wig looks good. My uh, toupee is holding up. The implants working. For people that are new to M1 Finance, can you give us a little bit of the history? Because you guys have really a unique way that you started and why you decided to start the company. Yeah. So the company started in mid-2015. So we've been around, I guess, like five and a half years now. It was really in the creation of the personal finance account I wish I had that didn't exist on the marketplace. And we were always trying to move towards this universal personal finance account where a user goes to manage their money and it personalizes it to your heart's content and then automates it and does it for 
low cost. It's you know more free, uh, better free, and then um, has a lot of advanced automation and the like in there. Uh, we started with an investing platform, and so it took us about a year and a half to develop that, get the licensing, develop the front end interface and the like. And so we launched with free automated investing in a custom stock or ETF portfolio. So users design a portfolio of the stocks and ETFs they want, all on a percentage basis, really intuitive way to construct and organize that portfolio. And then they just deploy money against it. It all goes to work. And we're doing a lot of creative things in the background with how we allocate money with fractional shares and dynamic rebalancing and the like. So it's just design the portfolio you want, add money to it. It goes to work for free. Um, about two years later, so mid-2018, we launched M1 Borrow, which lets you use your portfolio as collateral to a very low interest rate loan. Uh, so you can borrow up to 35% of your portfolio value at rates between 2 and 3.5%. About 90% of our lending is at 2%. So the, the use case there is you have a $200,000 M1 Invest portfolio. You're going to have a $70,000 line of credit at 2%, and you can use it for whatever. You can you know, invest more. You can use it in lieu of a HELOC, a home loan, an auto loan, a personal loan. Um, if you want to finance a vacation, you can do it that way. If you just want to you know, big night out on town, you can do that. Uh, and then we, this last year, so mid-2020, we launched M1 Spend, which is a high-yield checking account. It's a checking account that gives you 1% interest on checking, 1% cash back through an M1-issued debit card, and everything that you'd expect from a digital checking account offering. The big thing that we really focus on is is not having distinct products, but really a platform where all of those are integrated. And so we want you to replace your checking account, sort of do everything that you would out of a typical checking account. Excess money just gets swept into a custom portfolio of the investments you want in exact proportion to what you want for free. And if you ever need to get liquidity, you can tap into a line of credit at the lowest interest rate on the market. So it's a pretty powerful platform. Uh, we, we think we're quite a bit above the, the next nearest competitor in terms of uh, managing your money. And we have a lot of plans and ambitions to continue to improve upon it and grow. I've got so many questions. I want to go back to the first part of that when you were talking about the investing platform. I think what a lot of people don't remember is that trades, it, you know, it seems to you and I like free trading is something that happened just yesterday. And yet now it feels like everybody's doing it. Right. But I remember back then knowing a little bit about your company, Robinhood got all the accolades for being the first company to go uh, free trades, but you were, you were right behind them. I mean, were you maybe a month, two months behind them? It seems like Robinhood came out and then you guys were right after that. Yeah, uh, time's a little bit of a blur, you know, especially with twenty twenty <laughs> backdrop of twenty twenty. But yeah, we we were right after them and significantly before the the Schwabs, the Fidelities, the Ameritrades, E Trades of the world. And so, you know, I, I think it was Robinhood is a, a big behemoth in the fintech space, but you know, it was companies like them and us that really pushed the incumbents to say, why are you still charging ten bucks for an electronic message? This is it, it would be equivalent to charging ten bucks for a text message or an email nowadays, and it just never needed to happen. And when it comes to building a portfolio, I want to talk about my favorite part of that. This is this is my commentary, not yours, which is the concept of being able to put money into these fractional shares and build a portfolio, but also having more than one goal in the same portfolio. So as an example, if I've got my IRA at M1 Finance, I can have a goal for maybe my short-term retirement money and then my long, long-term retirement money on a more aggressive pie. Can you talk briefly about developing that and how that kind of works? Yeah, for sure. So the biggest thing is M1 is built around long-term investing and portfolio management, not stock trading. And so, you know, if you look at all the other, the big incumbents of Ameritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab, and even Robinhood, 
every single thing is built around a trade. I want to buy this amount at this dollar and then, you know, sell. And it, it does encourage really frequent behavior, you know, buy at 10 a.m., sell at 2 p.m., you know, or do it 15 times a day and, and try to day trade. M1 is much more about systematic long-term investing. And so it's saying, what share of your money do you want to go into certain investments? And so the entire mechanism for that is built around pie charts and we call them pies, uh, very creative uh, M1 branding. <laughs> the, the whole notion is, at any given time in my financial life, I want 10% of my money in technology stocks. And so, you know, that can become its own pie that you can slice and dice according to your, uh, you know, favorite technology stocks. But, you know, with what you were saying is, is exactly true. You could say, I want 80% of my money in long-term investments, more oriented towards retirement and the like. And that can be an aggressive portfolio. It can be ETS. It could be individual stocks. But then you can say, I want 20% in short-term safety fund. And, you know, that can be in treasuries and, you know, AAA rated corporate bonds and, you know, provide this stability. And so it's, it's really doing it on a portfolio management basis of this share of my money should go into this investment. And then it doesn't matter if it's $100, $100,000, million, you just deploy money against it. And what you can do is you can set up a recurring deposit with your paycheck every two weeks and say, I just want to add $500 to this and maintain my portfolio allocation. And M1 is going to do the, the like boring administrative work to make that happen. Yeah. And then for your rebalance, you press one button. One button. It's pretty amazing. And I can't imagine developing that. Like what a flipping headache. That's another show. We'll talk about, if we ever have a show <laughs> on coding, that'll be a whole, be a whole or developing. Yeah. That'll be a whole different thing. So the, the complexity really comes in, you know, a typical robo advisor will trade seven ETFs and they might have, you know, their entire universe is 25 ETFs. We trade 6,000 different securities and they're always going through stock splits and, you know, M&A and delistings and stuff like that. And so you know, th there is quite a bit of complexity in what we've developed, but it, it really is a powerful, extensible tool of tell us the portfolio you want to own, add money to it, and we'll make it happen. On, on M1 Borrow, I want to talk about that for a second, because obviously people hear a 2% interest rate on borrowing from your portfolio. That seems very compelling. Let's talk about that first, about why somebody would would want to do that versus taking out a traditional loan. But then also, what are some of the risks if somebody does that, Brian? Yeah. So why people would want to do that? Um, anytime you need liquidity, you need cash. You know, people people take money at the supermarket. They don't take stocks or shares of uh, Amazon. So, you know, you, you do need liquidity at, at certain times. And the big thing is it's costly for the individual to just hold a pile of cash just for the off chance you might need a decent amount at any given time. And you're giving up on potential returns. And so, you know, sitting on cash in the, the finance world is called cash drag. It's just expensive to hold cash for long periods of time because, you know, it's going to get eaten away by inflation and you're not getting the return with, with assets. And so the, the whole thing with borrow is a finance firm should take it upon themselves to say, hey, you, Joe, you have an account on M1. How can we give you the lowest cost capital and the most flexible terms? And when you think about that, the best way the finance company could do it is say, hey, you already have the assets to back it up. It's already in this account. If anything were to go wrong, we can always look over there. And so we'll provide you incredibly flexible money, use it for whatever at incredibly low interest rates and say, this is the on-demand stuff. But that's also where the risk comes in. And so because it's backed by your portfolio, we like the finance firm M1 needs to make sure that we get paid back. And if the portfolio drops significantly, we do have the authority to go in, sell the securities and pay our loan back. 
the way that it's structured is you can borrow up to 35% of your portfolio's value. And so 65% of the account would be in equity. If your equity drops below 25%, that's where we're coming in and issuing a maintenance or margin call. Your portfolio has to drop by more than 50% for that to happen. So we put very, very conservative confines on it. And we don't even recommend that you use it to do all of your borrowing. It's just a very flexible on-demand source of capital that people can tap into. And it's there whether you use it or not. And so it's, it's, I actually think it's foolish to not have your money on M1 because it unlocks this possibility that you really can't get anywhere else. Well, and I've, I've seen, and you've seen too at traditional banks, uh, somebody who's worked their entire life to build up a base of assets they retire, they decide to go to a bank to take out a loan, maybe for some construction project, uh, doing the type of remodeling like we're doing. And the bank will give them a loan because they don't have any income anymore. And I've, I've worked with people where they have this, this big base of assets and banks, because they're working out this traditional old time lending, they're not paying any attention to the fact that, you know, my client to work really hard to build this, this base. And so this is a way for people to access the value of that money. A hundred percent. Yeah. We, we want to take the notion of the finance firm should work with you and underwrite you as a person. And they should look at your entire financial life and say, how can we organize it such that you have lowest cost, most flexible terms and the like from the bank's perspective, the lowest risk to them is against your most liquid assets. And so, you know, we'll tranche it there. Then your next risk might be a mortgage or a HELOC, and then you might move into auto loans, and then you might move into unsecured loans. But the cheapest is, is against the assets. And so we provide that flexibility. And over time, we'll, we'll move to offer more along that spectrum. Let's move to the third part of M1 that I'm really interested in. You know, when you use the term uh, 1%, Back in the day, you wouldn't get excited about 1%. But in days like today, all of us here, 1%, Brian, as you know, are like, 1%, that's fantastic. When when most money markets at a bank are paying 0.05 and a lot of the, the online banks, maybe 0.5, 0.6. Explain the 1% because you talked a little bit about cash back and some other terms. How does that all work? Yep. So um, there's like two components of it. One is just how much cash you hold in the M1 spend account. And that's for everyday purchases and the like. And then the other is an M1 debit card that gets issued to you and you can use it at anywhere, any retail location or anywhere, anywhere Visa is accepted. Right. <laughs> um, so the, the 1% is driven by short term interest rate that the Fed sets. And so, you know, when people hear Fed funds, that's the overnight rate and the like. And that's they're, they're targeting zero to 0.25%. That is why 1% is attractive in this environment. When we look at the, our company, we can still lend that 1% out for higher rates. That's the way that banks make their money. They capture a spread. And M1 is just a much more efficient organization than a lot of the incumbent banks, where incumbent banks target a 3% spread on what they pay for you know, deposits and what they lend out at. We're fine going cheaper. We don't think we need to make that much money. We think that that is at the expense of the the user base. Well, number one, um, too, Brian, not to cut you off, but you don't have the brick and mortar costs that a Bank of America has either. No, absolutely. We we think the finance firm of the future is going to look a lot more like Amazon than a Sears. And, yeah. you know, it, it is like Sears, the, the brick and mortar thing. It's a liability. It's expensive. It's more expensive and less convenient for the customer. So, you know, it, it's double-edged sword that are, you know, <laughs> not great. And then, you know, every time you swipe back, so if you buy a hundred bucks at your favorite store, you get 1% back. So $1 back and that goes into your M1 spend account. So we are able to offer that 
by being very efficient and then also being able to offer a financial platform where we say we can manage your finances and make enough on that relationship. We don't have to you know, sort of turn the dials on every single product to maximize our take. What's next, Brian? You know, nobody listens to the show, my mom and one other person. (laughs) So if there's something secret that you're not supposed to talk about, you know, you can probably share it here. We've invested heavily to have those three pillars, invest, borrow, spend, and then have them work across each other, the automation and the integration across all of that. We're planning on going deeper in each. And so you'll have better investment options, better research, better analytics, more borrow options, same thing. You're spending up, you'll have more spending options, whether that's credit card or you know mobile pay, better cash flow analysis, automated budgeting tools. And so the real goal of M1 is to, we, we, we talk about it as create a personal finance account that's so beneficial, it's irresponsible not to use it. We want to go heads and shoulders above what you can get with point solutions out there, you know, an isolated checking account. We want our M1 spend to be significantly better than the checking accounts out there. And then we want everything to work together so that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so it's really just, you know, increasing features and functionalities and value that we we deliver to the end consumer to better manage their money. Brian, so for people who want to sign up for M1 Finance, tell me a little bit about that. There's never a better time to sign up for M1 that we're doing a ton of January promotions. You know, always the salesman. This is 90% of my job. <laughs> Here it um, comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, sit back. You know, you got a tight, oh, tight 10, tight 10. Um, we're doing a big promotion for bringing brokerage accounts over from other uh, brokerage accounts, paying up to $3,500 for uh, accounts there. Everyone who signs up gets a free annual subscription to our M1 Plus membership, which is sort of like an Amazon Prime-esque membership for, for M1. Big referral bonuses and the like. And, and it's really led to pretty astronomical growth that we we started 2020 with 70,000 funded accounts and about 800 million on the platform. We now have over 3 billion and 200 north of 250,000 funded accounts. And so, you know, grown rapidly and, and plan on serving a lot more people into the future. That's awesome. Well, it's been super exciting watching M1 Finance grow over the years. I just remember some of the discussions you and I had back um, back when when you guys were going free trades, and I thought that's crazy. And now that feels like ancient history, Brian. So thanks for hanging out and talking M1 Finance a little bit with us. No, absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And thanks for being an early supporter. Hey, stackers, I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And these guys made some sense when talking about awkward chats, but I I still can't shake the thought about how my podcast salary compares to everyone else here in the basement. I think it's time I feather a few delicate questions. But before I cleverly lean into this, let's get you today's trivia. Did you know that on this date in history, the new Apple Macintosh was first displayed during the Super Bowl in 1984? Wow, it took that long for an Apple to be on display? Wait, what? It's their computer. Oh, it's their computer. I'm using one right now, right? Ah, how about that? That's that's just neat. I mean, the more you know. While last year was probably an anomaly due to COVID, let's see how much Apple grew Mac computer sales in 2019. Not talking about the fruit. We're talking about the computers. How many MacBooks were sold in 2019? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can take a bite out of an Apple of your own. Not out of a computer. That's going to hurt. Well, unless you're trying to ram it down your throat. Ha! Ram! 
get it. It's another computer duck. Okay, forget it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go. Don't laugh at him, Len. You make it worse. <laughs> the uh, That's engineering humor there, I mean. <laughs> we do a year-long trivia contest here between our three contestants and our listener, Johnny. This year, this everything's different. Johnny, by the way, in the in the, our basement Facebook group, if you want to hang out with us, it's stackybenjamins.com forward slash basement gets you there. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Johnny's like keeping score for us. He's got an official score tracker, probably so we don't have to sit here every single episode and go, okay, who's winning? Like, what, what the heck's going on? He's keeping track of the questions. Like, maybe it's because we ended wow. in such a tough note last year that, you know, so much controversy at the end of last year. He also has uh, said that he'd like to sponsor the cake that Paula's demanded for the winner, let them eat cake, but we're not going to make Johnny. We're not going to have you do that. And you're getting some swag for doing it, but we will have cake, but Johnny doesn't have to buy it. So I saw the disappointed look in Paula's face. He's, willing, he's giving a gift. He is it's give, a gift. You wouldn't, you don't have to pay him back the cake. Yes. If uh, hey Johnny, Johnny, I hope you're working on my trophy too, because I'm still looking for that. <laughs> moving on, Len, moving on. <laughs> We are in the third week of this season, and uh, Paula is starting off in Paula Pant form. She has zero points. And Len and OG, who's not here today, taking the night off, replaced, played by Doc G. We got the G playing the G, the G-men playing each other. I don't know what that means. But uh, Len and OG tied at one. So that means, Paula, you get to go last Len's the reigning champion, so he is going first. MacBooks, huh? How many MacBooks were sold in 2019? That's a great question. Is that just, that's worldwide? Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, jeez. I have no freaking clue. Um, I don't even know how to begin to game this out. I'm going to say 1.5 million. I thought you were going to say 1.5. You think Tim Cook would be unhappy with that? Uh, Sir, we sold (laughs) 1.5. What? (laughs) Mr. Doc G? I'm going to say it's a little higher than that. I have no scientific reason for that. It's just my gut. I'm going to say 10 million. That's generally the way you come to this game, isn't it? That, and that's why I usually get it completely wrong. <laughs> that has been the Doc G way of playing. I have no scientific thing around that. You could just just press the tape recorder every time we do See, this. You guys have been keeping track of who wins and who loses, but no one has kept track of the percentage off each player has been. Now, if you did that, I would not only be in last place, <laughs> but by several times. <laughs> I think the the highest standard deviation on the question <laughs> goes to Doc goes G. Goes to yeah. Doc G. Yeah. Uh, I was so busy making fun of you, dude. I didn't record your answer. What do you say? 10 million. <laughs> Ten, 10 million computers. Well, Paula, what are you going to do with that? I think that the number is bigger. So I'm going to guess 10 million and one. 10 million and one. Chelsea you branded him on the, <laughs> on, yeah. on the top side. <laughs> Doc is crushed. We'd love to tell you who got it right, and we will, but in just a minute. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. 
You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they can also be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. Oh God. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. U.S. Cellular, a company that sells phones, wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. All right, Paula, you've got everything over 10 million computers. Why do you think it's bigger than 10 million? That's a hell of a lot of Macintoshes. Yeah, but it's worldwide, and uh, there's a lot of people in this world. You can't deny that, Doc. I never deny anything that Paul says. I'm just surprised you didn't do like you did with the NBA and go like 300 billion. You could have. You could have <laughs> been the top guy, but no. Uh, Len, it looks like these two are fighting over that top end. Yeah, I. You know what? I I don't know. It's maybe my number's ridiculously low now, but I. You know what? I, it's just one year. It's just a MacBook. Um, so I mean, there's lots of other options for computers, and I think more people buy non-Mac computers that you know, so regular PCs. So, anyways, that's that's where I'm going. I, I feel pretty good actually. I don't know the answer, and we're going to ask Doug here in a second, but. 340 million people in the United States, just in the United States, one and a half million people buying a MacBook. That's a, that's a low number, man. It just feels well, low that's to in me. in one year. That's in one year. Well, it's just one year. Doug, prove us wrong, man. Or prove me wrong. Don't prove Len wrong. Prove me wrong. Hey, trivia fans. It's me, your pal, neighbor Doug. So this particular conversation about how much everyone makes might be more delicate than I first thought because I'm clearly getting mixed signals. When I tried to ask Gertrude how much she makes, I think she just maybe got confused or something. Uh, Using social cues and trying to keep it casual, I kept asking, so how much cheddar do these guys give you for doing your work? And she just kept answering that she personally prefers Parmesan cheese. So I moved on to Joe's mom and asked her how much she makes off letting us record in the basement. And all she said was, F*** off. Huh. Is that what they mean maybe when they say F you money? So now, so much for being delicate. Because I'm still no closer to knowing the answer than when I started I'll figure out a way to take this up with Joe and OG. But for now, let's deliver today's trivia answer. The question was, how many MacBooks were sold in 2019? While iPhones are definitely the big seller for Apple, they still managed to crank out a whopping 18,349,000 computers. That number translates to about $25 in hot liquid cheddar. Or, you know, I guess... 
you could now say Parmesan? Maybe? I don't know anymore. But I only have Parmesan on spaghetti, and that's a lot of noodles. That's a big old pile of Italian. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Well, before Joe and OG pasta by, <laughs> let's get on with the show. See ya! Whoa! Uh, My this... score is finally one! What? Paul wow. is in a tie this early in the year? What? What's going on? What are you doing? Score of what? I, I want that cake, clearly. <laughs> Well, I was thinking maybe Indianapolis is your lucky city. Maybe that's it. Oh, it could be. It could be. Maybe this is a good omen for the uh, property that I bid on today. Absolutely. Good Midwest stuff. And uh, you're only off by one, Doc. Yeah, I know. I I, I, I feel like we're I'm playing against Chelsea Brennan now, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> hey, before Paula high fives herself too many times, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Doc G, you know what happens when you go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money? Well, Joe, those financial products you find at brick and mortar banks are nowhere near best in class. <laughs> Just as I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> Over. I, okay. I did not see that coming. <laughs> They're all ranked, by the way, head to head. At stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You stuck the landing, man. Even the East <laughs> even the East German judge thought you were great at that one. It only took 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to help our new friend magnify their money. That's what it says right here. Our new friend. We have a friend. Mom's going to be happy. Here we go. Hey, Joe and OG. I have a question about grad school. I've been taking grad school really slowly because I have a part-time job with the university that pays for three credits per semester or 1.5 in the summer. So far, I've taken nine credits for free and I have 22 to go. Option one for finishing those 22 credits is to keep going at the pace I've been going, which means that I would graduate in spring of 2023 and have to pay for four credits, which is about $8,000, which I can cash flow. Option two is that I go a little faster and finish a year earlier in spring of 2022 and only have to pay for 10 credits, um, about $20,000, which I would have to take out loans for. I currently make about $30,000 between this job and another part-time job. When I graduate, I will be able to make a salary of $65,000 a year starting and people in my field are in high demand. So my question is, can you help me figure out the opportunity cost of finishing earlier, but taking on debt versus finishing a year later and waiting to get that higher salary, but not having any debt. Thanks for all you do. And thanks very much to my new friend for that question. Unfortunately, OG's not here, but we've got uh, three people that can help you out. Doc, you're the guest. Let's start with you, man. What are you thinking? So I'm going to start with a hardcore answer. I think you finish as fast as possible and get into the workplace for a few reasons. One is she's going to make $65,000 a year as opposed to $30,000 a year, which will well make up for that $20,000 she's going to spend to get done faster. But she'll also maybe get a 401k match. She might also get some insurance. There are probably some other benefits. I also think that, yes, you worry about negative compounding with loans, but you can pay those off quickly if you're making more money. But we also have compounding with experience and time. And the quicker you get into a hot field, 
the quicker you get experience, the faster and more exponential your salary could go up. So I would fall hardcore on take the loans, especially if you think this is a secure job that there's high demand for. Get out in the world, make money and move forward. Mr. Penzo, you on that train? Yeah, I actually just ran the numbers. I mean, if you just run the numbers, it's it's she nets um, twenty one thousand, about twenty two thousand dollars, just by going as fast as possible and taking the twenty thousand dollar, even with the twenty thousand dollar extra debt, she ends up ahead. You mean so, in year number one? You're talking about year number one? No, I mean at the end of. Uh, oh, let me be clear. At the end of twenty, if you run, if you play this out all the way until twenty twenty three. If she goes till 2023, you know, she takes her time and she starts with her new job that way, you know, she'll, she'll net out with, uh, $67,000. That's 75, about $75,000 in income minus the 8,000 out of pocket expenses. Right. So if you go the other route, uh, she'll be making 30,000 in year one, then she's half of the next year in 2022, she'll be making 45,000. And then in the final year, she'll have up through up through spring again, end of spring semester, thirty three thousand. So that's she's netting basically uh, well, one hundred and eight thousand minus twenty thousand. That's eighty eight thousand dollars. So you know that's right there. There's twenty one thousand dollars to the good. It's a no brainer to me. It's get done as fast as possible. Paula. In theory, I agree, but just for the sake of playing devil's advocate and for the sake of kind of introducing a new perspective, I'll give a few caveats. Well, that's good because I had some too. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) This is is the conservative side of the podcast. Paul and I have been answering questions together now for way too long. (laughs) I know, right? Can read your mind. So the the first thing I would would ask is I I would ask her how certain she is uh, to the extent that any humans can be certain about anything that's going to happen in the future. How much confidence does she have in her prediction of number one, what she will make number two, how quickly she will get a job and number three, whether or not that particular job will be in the set of circumstances that she wants, such as in the city or town that she wants it to be in or with the type of schedule that she wants, you know, and and if it's not, or, or, and, and the, unpredictable thing is whether or not she likes her boss. And if she doesn't, you know, will she have the freedom to move? Like, will there be other opportunities? Like how essentially how plentiful are the jobs and how much flexibility does she have? So if it's in demand, you're saying not just deep, right? Money wise, but wide, like a lot of people would want her so she can hop from place to place if the first one doesn't work out. Exactly. Exactly. If she goes to that first job and it turns out that her boss is a total piece of garbage, she should have the ability to hop out and get another job quickly without, you know, worrying or about the fact that she has all of the student loan debt and therefore feeling trapped in this job that she dislikes with this boss that she dislikes, uh, living in a city that she doesn't want to live in, working a schedule that she doesn't want to work. So, yeah, exactly as you said, not just deep, but wide in terms of job opportunities. The other thing that I would ask, uh, have her ask herself is, are there any circumstances in her life that might preclude her from being able to work or being able to work full time? So does she have any chronic illnesses or health problems that might flare up and take her out of the market for six months? Does she have an elderly parent or elderly grandparent that she might have to become a full-time caretaker for? What types of life events might interrupt her ability to work because that will also influence whether or not she wants to take on debt. You know, the only addition I had was actually none of those, Paula. I had another one, which was, 
You know, the basic question, because because I, I totally agree with Doc G and uh, love Len running the numbers, love your caveats to all those, all the what ifs, the risk management portion, right? Because you should always think of all the risks involved. So I love all that. But the very basic question to me is, what do you want to do? Because I know some people that just love that experience. They love where they are. And if, and you know what? The job might be something that'll still be there in a few years. And it's not always about money. It's sometimes just about what I want to do. And man, if I'm loving the fact that I'm slow playing this, I'm doing great on $30,000. I've got good friends. I've got a life that I enjoy. Why would I move from that? You know, I've had some moves that I've made for more money that I ended up later on going, what the hell did you do that for? You were in this perfect place and you were too dumb to, to see it. So that was the only caveat that I had actually, but great question. Thanks for that question. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And um, it's really easy. If you've got a, obviously you've got a microphone on your phone there and, or on your computer and ask us uh, whatever you'd like. And we'll and, get it. And you said that was your new friend, right? Not your little friend. Because be. if it's your little friend, I'm a little worried if I gave the wrong answer, I'm <laughs> going to be in big trouble. It should be. She should have said my only friend is what she should have said. <laughs> your, your only true friend. Yes. All right. That's going to do it for today. We'll let our guest of honor go last. Paula, what's happening over there at the Afford Anything podcast? Just, I'm asking you, because I'm hoping that you'll have like some, you know, a Nobel Peace Prize person so I can watch Len squirm because he's going next. <laughs> I have been trying to get Malala Yousafzai on the podcast, but we haven't been able to book her yet. But in the background, I am hoping to one day have a Nobel Peace Prize laureate. <laughs> On the podcast. But in the meantime, you can hear Rachel Cruz, Dave Ramsey's daughter, uh, who really is. She's a personality in her own right. She's had multiple New York Times bestselling books. She's so uh, she's fun. the host of the Rachel Cruz show. So Rachel Cruz joins us on the podcast to talk about how self-knowledge is critical in understanding how you handle money and in understanding how to handle money with a spouse or a partner. Um, so we have that interview. We've got this guy by the name of Joe Saul Sihai who gives questionable advice. Um, so you can find that on the Afford Anything podcast. And now now in 2021 with more Joe than ever before. <laughs> now with more Joe. If that's not a tagline for the Afford Anything, now with more Joe. And that's where all the- <laughs> 50% more Joe. <laughs> and that's where the listeners went right there. Len, what's happening at uh, lenpenzo.com? Well, I kick off the new year with a family post with another- Taste test, blind taste test. Fantastic. Challenge. This time it is the Cola Wars. You know, you've heard of the Pepsi challenge. So we took the family and I blind taste tested Coke, Pepsi, RC, and the uh, local grocery store brand. You and said you Cola. You might be surprised at who won. And you might even be more surprised at who came in last place. Oh. Oh. But you got to go it to It wasn't Len even close. Really? Oh my God. You got to go to lempenzo.com to find out. I thought, by the way, Len, that you, when you said cola, I thought you said you were having a cold taste test. <laughs> you know what? I'll take that as a, as a suggestion at, that, that, and we'll, and we'll see if we can do that. I was just thinking that's how the penzos ended up the way they are. Eating I, all that I thought you were talking about cost of living adjustments. <laughs> Mm, is that a 4% cost of living adjustment? 
Is that, is that like the biggest finance nerd humor right there of all time? <laughs> like, you know, there's only on this show, only this round. <laughs> there's half the audience going, oh, that's, that's so endless. And we will on a high note. Doc, what's happening at the Earn and Invest podcast? Well, on Monday, it is Martin Luther King Day, and we have Julian and Kirsten Saunders on from Rich and Regular, Vicky Robin, Your Money, Your Life, and Natalie Torres Haddad, the financially savvy Latina, talking about civil and financial rights. We talk about the storming of the Capitol. We talk about the political upheaval that we've seen, as well as the elections. It's a really good episode. And then on Thursday, we talk to Erica Kohlberg, the queen of YouTube. Have you ever thought of starting a YouTube channel? Well, she's done it, and she has been amazingly successful. And those conversations can only be found at the Earn and Invest podcast. At the Earn and Invest (laughs) podcast, Joe. (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for us, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, Doug, you've got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. The best way to handle those awkward money conversations is to be open, understanding, and not judgmental of others. That's the best way to help us learn together and get better with our money and reach our goals. Second, take a lesson from Brian Barnes at M1. The goal isn't to keep adding more data and dashboards, but to find fewer dashboards that can concisely communicate your financial picture and allow you to make better decisions. But the big lesson? When I talked to Joe, he said, no one in the basement gets paid as many quesadillas as I do. It's quesadillas now? I thought it was cheddar or like Parmesan or... Just like any Italian food, but hmm, I do love me some quesadillas. Maybe it's all right. Thanks to Doc G for stopping by. You can hear more from Doc G by listening to the Earn and Invest podcast wherever you listen to any podcast. And thanks to Brian Barnes at M1. To learn more about M1 Finance, just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash M1. Paula Pant appears courtesy of AffordAnything.com and the Afford Anything Podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and the PersistentItch.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Hold on, I got to let the cat up. <laughs> <laughs> so professional. Joe is so professional. Good, he went out. <laughs> what? Great. We know who rules the roost. The cat out. That's oh, right. Cooper does, not me. You kidding me? <laughs> it was funny. We have friends over. Our old cat, Comet, was really smart, like super smart. And we were having a team uh, holiday party at our house for our financial planning staff. And I remember telling a friend of mine's uh, husband, his name's Rick, we're standing there with a couple beers. And, you know, you, I see Rick twice a year. And I said, you know, what's amazing. Like that cat, that cat is so trained. Like I know when he wants to go outside. I know when he wants to eat. I know when he's like laying down. I know when he wants to be messed with and when he doesn't. And Rick looks at me and goes, he's not trained. <laughs> You're trained. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.